Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 today as we bring to a conclusion our theme of the month, A Clearer Vision of Transformation. In 1871, Chicago was largely destroyed by fire. The fire actually began on one side of the Chicago River, but continued passing over the river to the other side. It happened because wooden boats were there docked in the river. They caught fire, but that's not the only reason. It seems that the Union Stock Company was dumping animal waste into the river, and it was combustible. It caught fire and helped spread the fire to the other side of the river. There was another problem because of all that waste that had been dumped. The Chicago River flows east into Lake Michigan. Lake Michigan is where the Chicago residents got their drinking water. And in the year 1885, 14 years after that fire, there were nearly 100,000 people that died from disease as a result of that animal waste being in their drinking water. It was putrid water. Then the engineers got busy. And they began digging a canal 28 miles long. They moved more dirt than was moved when the Panama Canal was being built. Uh, they dug that canal to, in order to bring water from the Great Lakes. And in the year 1900, in January, they opened those gates to that canal. And the water from the Great Lakes rushed in through that canal into the Chicago River and reversed the direction of the entire river so that it would flow to the Des Plaines River, then to the Illinois River, into the Mississippi River. The whole flow of the Chicago River was reversed. It was an engineering marvel. And really, it's a bit like our lives, because when we welcome Jesus into our lives, what happens? He reverses the flow of our lives. We live one way, he comes in, and everything changes, and nothing is the same. It's all about Jesus Christ. Our lives change direction. And so, it's the peace of Christ by which, we, by which we live. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15, it simply says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. We live by the message of Christ. The next verse says this, let the message of Christ dwell in you richly, and we live by the name of Christ. Verse 17 says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a repentant life. We move in a new direction. You know, sometimes we'll say, of somebody, football is his life, or painting is her life, or that woman is his life. Just fill in the blank, whatever it is. Everybody has something that goes in that blank. But we who are in Jesus Christ have one thing to say. Christ is our life. He changes everything about us from the inside out. Even the relationships that we have, the closest ones to it, our family relationships and our work relationships. And that's what Paul has to address today in our text. We're going to pick up with verse 17 as we just read and continue. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, 
obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they'll become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide Provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. What a great text for us and so practical for our relationships and our lives. We are called to Christ. That's the truth about us when we are born again. We are called to Christ. We're even called to, to make sure he is Lord over our relationships. So let's delve into this and see and see what we learn. First of all, live healthy family relationships in the name of Christ. No two people could be more different than a husband and wife. Consider just, just the bathroom alone. A man needs about five things. Soap, a toothbrush, shaving cream, a razor, and a towel. And we're good. A wife needs about 337 items, most things we can't even identify. Consider shopping habits. You know, a man will spend $2 on a $1 item that he really needs. A woman will spend $1 on a $2 item she doesn't really need, but it was on sale. We're also very different because of our roles that we play. And that's what the Apostle Paul addresses. He has a word to wives. He says, be submissive. Submission is more about attitude than it is activity. It means that wives are to voluntarily stand next to their man, their husband, because they know that, that God requires them to lead their family well and to give an answer to God, give, a, give an account to God for the kind of leader he is. And we as husbands need our wives with us to help us be the best we can be. Rebecca McLaughlin uh, holds a PhD in Renaissance literature and a theology degree from Oak Hills in London. I mean, she is a woman who has achieved much in her life. And she writes about her struggle with learning submission. This is what she writes. I came from an academically driven, equality-oriented, all-female high school. I was now studying in a majority male college, and I was repulsed. I had three problems with this passage. She's referring to this one. The first was that wives should submit. I knew women were just as competent as men. My second problem was with the idea that wives should submit to their husbands as to the Lord. It is one thing to submit to Jesus Christ, the self-sacrificing king of the universe. It's quite another to offer that kind of submission to a fallible, sinful man. My third problem was the idea that the husband was the head of the wife. This seemed to imply a hierarchy at odds with men and women's equal status as image bearers of God. At first, I tried to explain the shock away. But when I trained my lens on the command to husbands, the scripture passage came into focus. When I realized the lens for this teaching was the lens of the gospel itself, it started making sense. If the message of Jesus is true, no one comes to the table with rights. The only way to enter is flat on your face. 
male or female, if we grasp at our right to self-determination, we must reject Jesus because he calls us to submit to him completely. Submission used to repulse me. Now it convicts me and calls me toward Jesus, the true husband who satisfies my needs, the one man who truly deserves my submission. Submission is never easy, but it's always the best way because it's God's way. Now, Paul gives a word to husbands. He says, be prefect. You heard me right, prefect. I didn't mean to say perfect. There are no perfect husbands, but we are to be prefect husbands. A prefect is someone who has given the place of leadership or authority. And based on that truth, that's how God wants us to operate husbands. Um, maybe you've lied sometime. You fell out a form where you checked head of household and you know you're not. Well, God calls you to be. When you are called to Christ, you are called to lead your household well, all of us. And so we do that by love, by agape love. Ephesians 5.25 says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So, we have to learn to love well. We are to love selflessly. That simply means that we find out what her needs are, and we're more concerned about her needs than we are our own bodies. If our bodies have an itch, we scratch it. If we're thirsty, we get a drink. If we're hungry, we feed it. And so, a a good husband who loves his wife well understands a wife needs, what a wife needs, and does his best to meet those needs and to love her well through that. Love her sacrificially as well. Christ died, and when he did so, he gave up his right to his own, own going on to live his life in the way he wanted to. He laid his life down for us. That's why, that's why we are celebrating the Lord's day today. That's why we're listening to the word, because no one has loved us like this. And so we're to love our wives in the same way. Husbands, we love not, not by, not by, not by the way that, that typically the world teaches us, but we, that's why we keep our eyes on Jesus. We continue to watch him because, because he's the one that teaches us that we never demand, we never demand a wife to submit to us, but we love her so well that she wants to submit. She wants to stand next to us. Every wife wants a good leader of the family, and we are called to be in that position. I trust you understand that and you value that. Then love her also sanctifyingly. Now, that's a made-up word. I don't think that's such a word, but I made it an adverb based on Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 28. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. What does Jesus Christ do when he comes into our lives? He makes us better. We keep growing in him 
And as our, as our true Savior and Lord and Redeemer and the leader of our lives, he always makes us better. And since we, in a microscopic way, are, are the picture of Jesus in a marriage, not because we're perfect, certainly, but because we keep our eyes on him, we're shaped by him. We love our, lot, lot, our wives in such a way that they simply become better. Because they're so loved, so they're so valued, and we put ourselves second for their sakes. We put them their needs ahead of our, our own. Paul goes on basically to say that our wives are an extension of our own bodies, and so we care for it in, in the way that we ought to. You know, Jesus is presented in the scripture as prophet, priest, and king. As a prophet, he is all about the word, the living word. As a priest, he represented the people before the Lord, especially in the, in the area of worship. And he's king. He's ruler. He's our protector. He is the one who oversees us and directs us. In the same way, if Jesus is our model, men, we are to act in the same way. As prophets in our families, all I'm saying is, let's really love the word. Let's lead the family by our love for the word, our desire to know Christ better, and the receptivity of the word into our lives. And our priestly duties, let's lead our families to worship, both in the corporate worship and in prayer at the table and before bed or in the morning. Let's let our family see us in a devotional relationship with God and lead the way in spiritual conversations uh, and show them what it means that Jesus is real in our lives. And let's behave as kings, not as dominant overseers and order, ordering people, but as key protectors and leaders in which our families find safety and protection in their lives. Let's love our, our wives well. Let's make it easy for our wives wives to follow us and to want to submit to us by standing next to us and encouraging us in our role as husbands. So here's a word to children. You know, the, the Ledbetter family live in Mercer Island, Washington. And they like being a family. They just don't like each other very well. And so they built a house of 3,600 square feet so that every child not only had a bedroom, but a kind of a living area that they could do their own thing and they wouldn't have to be around anybody. In fact, they have a room called the escape room. And if you're the only one that doesn't want to be around the family, you can just go to that room and be isolated. I don't think that's what God had in mind. He has a better idea for sure. And so his word to children is learn to obey. And when we learn to obey, uh, we just save ourselves from a lot of pain in our lives. Is it hard to obey our parents? Sure, it's hard to obey sometimes. And if you disobey, what happens? I mean, maybe, maybe you get time out. Maybe get a spanking. I don't know if you get a spanking or not, but something happens. There are consequences, right? But then you become older and you become a teenager and you're not going to get time out anymore, but you're going to get grounded and that's going to be painful. And then you go to college and if you don't do well, you're not going to get grounded. You're going to flunk out or, or, or get expelled. And then when you get a, a job, 
Your boss isn't going to give you a timeout or, or even flunk you. You're going to get fired. And if you disobey the government and break the laws, well, you get the idea. That's enough. You see, there are consequences when we don't learn about authorities when we're really young. And that's what God wants us to learn. As children, he wants us to learn to be under somebody's authority. It goes so much better off in life. And it... it, it and sometimes a young person will say, well, how long do I have to obey my parents? Well, as long as you are under their provision and protection and they're taking care of you. If you're not sure, just ask your parents if they claim you on their income tax. And if they do, you're probably still under their direction and protection and care. All right. But even then, as we become adults, the Bible says, honor your father and your mother. And there's a way always that we do that and we learn to do that well, even though we're not under their direct authority anymore. Now, dads, and I'll include moms too, because both mother and father have a place of great influence in our children's lives. And we, we, none of us want to be guilty of embittering our children. We don't want to be guilty of exasperating them and discourage them, but it's so easy to happen. So there, let me just give you four warnings along the way. You know, the, the, the first one is just exaggeration. If I've told you once, I've told you a million times to clean your room. That's a gross overstatement. Sometimes the problem is this, martyrdom. That's when you say, uh, after all I've done for you, and this is the thanks I get. Another one is comparison. Why don't you get good grades like your sister? Oh, boy, that's a popular one, right? The fourth one, prophecy. You keep living that, you're never going to amount to anything like this. All those, we may think that's going to spur a kid on, and typically those are scarring words. Some of you today carry scars with you from painful word, a painful word a parent spoke to you, and you've never shaken it after all these years. We don't want to be guilty of that. The question out of this verse, how do we encourage? We don't want to embitter. We don't want to discourage. How do we encourage a child? We could have a seminar all day today about encouraging children. We can't do that, and you don't want to listen to me talk all day. So let me just give you three that I think are, are really strong ways to encourage our children. You know, first of all, by listening without judging. Kids need a good place to just speak their hearts freely without a parent reacting without immediate fixing, without stepping in for them and, and making sure that, that everything is taken care of and we do everything for them. They just need a place. We, we as parents tend to panic when they're honest with us. Don't panic. As soon as we start doing that, they're going to shut down and we don't want that to happen. So just listen without judging. Second of all, by praising more than criticizing. Uh, now, Part of parenting is positively critiquing, you know, and, and taking criticism, but framing it in a way that is helpful. But it's so easy. If we don't, if we don't purposeful, purposefully encourage and build up, we will find fault because parents are so good at doing that. Studies show that for every negative comment we make to a child, they need eight compliments. That's how we want to live with our children. So, and, and by the way, praise them more for who they are than what they do. If you're only praising them for what they do, what happens when their performance isn't there? 
suddenly their worth crashes. So for instance, if your, if your son or daughter is playing ball, rather than say, yeah, you won, good job. It's better to say, man, I'm so happy that you won because I've seen how hard you work and you work so hard so you could play well. I appreciate that about you working, your work ethic or, or something like that. You're focusing on the price they paid to get there more than the, than the win of the game. I hope you understand that. And also by trusting more than policing. Now hear me right. You should know where your child is and what they're doing and who they're with. And trust them in that until they give you reason they can't. And young people, when you break that trust, there is a price to pay for that. And policing will step in. But let's work on building trust and honoring our children. And that's a great way to encourage them. You know, there's a, the final word in all this is that our kids are going to be influenced more by what they see in us than what we say. And I love what one teenager wrote. He wrote this. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you hang up my first painting on the refrigerator and I wanted to paint another one. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you feed a stray cat and I thought it was good to be kind to animals. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you make my favorite cake and I knew little things are special things. When you thought I wasn't looking, I felt you kiss me goodnight and I felt loved. When you thought I wasn't looking, I heard you say a prayer, and I believe there's a God who could always, I could always talk to. When you thought I wasn't looking, I looked and wanted to say thanks for all the things I saw when you thought I wasn't looking. So let's live well and God-honoring lives before our kids. Let's, uh, let's be encouragers of them and enjoy watching them grow in the faith and the trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the word for families. But included is, is our work relationships. So we're to live healthy work relationships in the name of Christ as well. As many as one in five citizens of the Roman Empire were slaves. The slaves not based on race as previous slavery in our nation's history. Often woven in the fabric of a family were those who worked for the family. And sometimes they were professional people, doctors and lawyers, things like that. Not what we typically think of the word slavery. And while Paul certainly is not necessarily condoning slavery in the Roman Empire at all, he is taking it and he's using it to help them understand how to do well in whatever position of life they find themselves also as followers of Jesus. It, 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 for us today, it compares to the employee-employee relationship. So he's saying here, honor the Lord in all your work. Everyone has a daily job. You might be a laborer or a business owner or a CEO. You might be self-employed. You might be a homemaker. Uh, you might be a student, but it is the daily work that you do. And we are to honor God in all that work. So employees work as if Jesus is your boss. Verse 23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. In other words, do your work enthusiastically and with an attitude that honors the Lord. Let me tell you about Tyler. Tyler grew up in our church. And he lives downtown Indianapolis now, and he worked for one of the major hotels downtown. And he saw the handwriting on the wall when, when COVID-19 hit. 
And uh, so, because of that, he was in management. And he decided just to come to the warehouses and find, find the best job he could find. And he found one. And uh, it wasn't a job he was looking forward to, but he told his dad, you know what? I've decided I'm just going to enjoy this job, and I'm going to work so hard, I'm going to have the work done by noon, and I'm just going to surprise them all. And you know what? He has surprised himself. He has ended up loving that job, and he doesn't have any intention, really, of moving from it. Attitude changes everything about the work that we do. And we want to do it, especially because we are redeemed people. There is every reason for us to work hard and work well and be thankful for the vocations we have and perform them in a way that honors the Lord as well. Let's do that well. Now, employers, treat your workers like you want to be treated by the bigger boss. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you have a master in heaven. Mike Davis started out his career as a chauffeur. Well, eventually he became an oil tycoon in Houston. He also was voted the world's worst boss. He would send out memos to his staff at different times like this one that was sent out by him. It said, idle conversation in this office will result in immediate termination. Do your job and keep your mouth shut. A month later, he sent this memo. There will be no more birthday celebrations. This is a business office. If you must, celebrate on your own away from the office. No wonder he was voted that way. How wise we are. How, how much more productive our employees are going to be when they are treated well, when they are honored well, when we speak well of them. Now, we certainly expect them to do the work they are, they are hired to do. But we know there's a way that, that every employee wants to be encouraged. They want to be noticed. They want to be commended for the work that they're doing. And we need to com continually learn how to do that well. Because if we don't, easily a morale can really fade. There was research, research done in England where they took 6,400 uh, civil service workers and they studied them for 10 years. And they would ask them questions like, are you treated fairly by your boss? Are you personally encouraged by your boss along the way. And they measured all these questions about how that treatment at work. And at the end of the 10 years, they found that 30% that, that of those employees studied developed coronary disease. And they tied it to the, the work stress they were under because they weren't valued. We need to learn to lead others well in the workplace. And I trust you know that as well. Those who are treated well in, in leadership uh, who treat well people in leadership are honoring the Lord in those positions. Well, all this, all this because of the Lord's goodness to us. When he transforms our lives, when we take off that old and then we put on the new, it's not only just new behaviors, it, it translates into our relationships as well. That's what we're learning. All this because of the Lord's goodness to us. And this brings us to a close in this series, A Clearer Vision of Transformation. And I trust that you've been encouraged in this journey together. You know, that people go, go a lot of directions to find a new beginning and to find change. And people can change for the better in a lot of ways. But not like when Jesus is Lord of your life. You know, in the world, there are over 120 
thousand spas. 10% of them are found in the United States. It's a $16 billion business. You can go to Hawaii and get a lava rock massage. Uh, you, you can go to the tropics and get a papaya scrub. You can get to, go to uh, Sonoma and get a, kind of some kind of strange facial from local things that are grown there. You can go to the northeast of the United States and get a, a maple leaf wrap. Uh, little girls as young as four can go to Disney World and get their first manicure and pedicure. You can go to Hershey Park, Pennsylvania and get a chocolate fondue wrap. That's what I'm voting for as long as I get to eat the chocolate afterwards. You know, there's an anthropologist by the name of Robbie Blinkoff. And he said, you know, people just want to feel, feel like they're transformed. Good brothers and sisters, transformation is not a feeling. It's a reality. It's a reality that comes when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And when you do that, he raises you up. He raises us up from the dead to live a new life. And that's why we set our hearts and minds on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And when you do that, you know what happens? Everything changes. It changes. It's transformed because then your life is hidden with Christ in God. And that leads to true transformation. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are so humbled as we open this word and break this bread of life together. For there we see ourselves. There we, we meet us face to face. We see in this mirror what you want us to look like, Father, and we dare not walk away unchanged. So I pray we will be, Father. We have we have. Considered transformation, we have been given a picture of what it looks like in a life of the, of the Christ-centered life. We have witnessed in the pages of, of this scripture, in these words, what you're calling us to. And I'm so thankful, Father, what you call us to is a person, a Savior, a Redeemer, who is Lord today. And so, Father, we thank you today for his brilliance and his glory. We thank you, Father, that he is seated at your right hand. We are thankful, our Father, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And because of that, you exalted him to that place where he is. And so that's why we love to remember his sacrifice, because we cannot be who we're made to be without what he did for us by his sacrifice. So, Father, afresh right now, we commit ourselves to you by remembering Jesus and leaving these few moments determined to be who you want us to be. May God be praised in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.